Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the third Sunday of Advent for the week of December 12th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because we are still in Advent, and as we'll find, I think this week is kind of fun because we have the three different texts that are kind of in support of the praise and giving thanks and praise to God, and then we have... And then we have John the Baptist coming in to be a little bit of an agitator, kind of fitting in with the theme that we had last week, John doing John things of agitating and getting us to think deeply and to reconsider a lot of things. And I think that's important. It's important for us to be able to reconcile and think about these different things, to be thinking about how do we continue to grow. And it fits really well into what we had for the Twitter question for last week is where are you getting refined and where are you getting agitated to be a better you, to become a better church, to become a better society? I know for me, there's different relationships that I am trying to refine. I'm getting agitated and working on how do I control my different emotions in that? How do I work on being able to have my best self come forward instead of the agitated self that comes forward. But I think in the church, we're in this process of refining in what is the essence of church really about. And we're getting agitated because a lot of the traditional practices that we've done are getting reconsidered, thinking about, and is this becoming just old hat or is the symbolism still there or is it becoming that it's more emotions than actually recognizing what the symbols of what this stuff is supposed to mean and I think that's what's been hard and a lot of times in this pandemic is we want the familiar but we also know that some of the familiar is has left the building and will not be coming back in the same way as before and in society I think one of the biggest ways that we are being agitated and we need to work on to become more refined is listening. It's one of the things that I've been learning a lot over the last few years, and it's one of the things that I continue to work on because I'm not great at, heck, I host a podcast so you can kind of see, but the lesson that I keep seeing for myself is how much I need to continue to learn to listen. And especially in the world that which we're getting into that's very politically divided at different points, we get very divided on different issues. Can we let ourselves, our guard down enough to be actually able to listen to the other side and being able to hear what are their main concerns, what are their things that are getting them ramped up, and what are the things that are the core essence and being able to hear their examples and being able to hear what's going on and being able to put our stuff aside enough of wherever we're coming from to be able to see, okay, I can at least understand some of this. I maybe don't agree with everything, but I can at least agree with parts of it. And that gives us something to be able to work from. And I think that's one of the things as a world and as a society And as a church, we need to work on, we need to be able to find this common ground and be able to work from there instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying that there's just no common ground. And it's something for me that I'm getting really tired of. And I think in a lot of ways, the place to kind of start is the church. And I think in a lot of ways, when we look at the text and where we're going this week, John is really calling us into that especially in the society in which we're in, we have the opportunity right now to really let our faith shine through by living our lives in a different way that allows people to ask why. 
And I think it's from those moments that then we can actually talk about what our faith has meant to us. So let's just jump into it this week. The Old Testament or first reading is from Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 14 to 20. This is a fun little text recognizing how God has continued to be with the people of Israel at this point and that God is continuing to steer them and work with them even as they fall short, but realizing how much God is working with them and that through all this that we know that the God that we have, the God that we follow will continue to prevail. And that there might be oppressions for a period of time, but God still will overall prevail. And I think that's one of the things that we have to be able to realize and recognize. And it's this praise section. I think it's really fun to be able to recognize that, yeah, even when stuff is hard, even when stuff is difficult, that we're still recognizing that God is still in that and is working with us to be able to have the recognition, to be able to see how we're still being blessed through our difficult times. The psalm this week comes out of Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 to 6. And this continues in that praise of Surely God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid for the very Lord God is my strength for my might for he has become my salvation coming from verse two that this idea that because of what God has done for me that I should be singing praises which we get out of verse five and verse six and rejoicing and singing how great God is because of the trust that we put into God and how God then continues to steer us and bring us to paths of where God is directing us. The New Testament text or second reading is from Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 to 7. And I'm just going to read this because it's really short, but I think it's beautifully said. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this idea of how through prayer, through communication, through the discussion that we have back and forth with God, God continues to give us a peace that passes all understanding and will guard us. So thus, what does that mean for us? That means that we need to be reflecting, in this case, how it's stated in Philippians, in the gentleness to everyone, but also then reflecting that in rejoicing and giving praise to God. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. This is where I feel the rubber meets the road, and it starts right away. When John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I say to you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, an axe is lying at the root of the tree, and every tree therefore does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Whew! Some fiery words right away from verses 7 to 10 from John. And what do we get? 
the people then asking, what should we do? And then John goes through, if you have two coats and anyone has none, give them one. And then tax collectors asking, what should we do? Do not collect more than what is prescribed to you. Soldiers asking, what should we do? Do not extort extra money from anyone or have false accusations. And this is then preparing them for the message that John has in verse 16. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then talking about how then this is the threshing floor that there will be separating the wheat from the chaff. And remember, we've talked about that before, that the head of wheat that is actually valuable, that they're keeping that, and then you're getting rid of the chaff and the excess, and that's what was burned. So keeping the good quality of the wheat and getting rid of the excess. And it's this preparing text for the people. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug, boom. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I really enjoy being able to listen to Sermon Brainwaves, having four different seminary professors there from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. But I also really enjoy having commentaries written from other biblical scholars from all over the world, being able to give me some direction on how different people are looking at these texts and interpreting these texts and giving some new and fresh ideas to these texts. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. But I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at Vanderbilt.edu. One of the things that I think really separates this is I really like how all the texts are laid out week after week so I can look through them and really use it well here for bringing you this podcast. But I also really enjoy using the art, looking through the history of time from not only European countries, but African and Asian countries from around the world, looking at how are the how are different artists interpreting these texts. And thus, it gives me some insight into thinking about things in a different way. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at Vanderbilt.edu or workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend checking out both of these resources. I think we have to talk about some of the symbolism here that John is utilizing. And we have a little bit of history that we need to dig into a little bit also. Remember, the baptism at this point, baptism is kind of to show that there's a change, to show that there is a transformation that is happening. And again, this isn't the Holy Spirit type fire baptism that we more acknowledge now as Christians, especially being on this side of the cross. This is more of a forgiveness of sins type of baptism at this point. But John comparing them to a brood of vipers, I find is extremely interesting. And it led me to looking up stuff with vipers, which on a side note is a little bit difficult because of how often this text has been used for people understanding these texts. It it gets utilized a lot. But first, we have to understand that vipers are ovoviriparous, which is an interesting little thing. So first, ovoviriparous means that when the young is developing, it's an egg, but that it then is also within the parent. 
So most vipers, not all, there's a couple vipers left that still lay eggs. But otherwise, they lay eggs internally inside of them, and then they hatch inside the parent, and then they give birth live, if that makes sense. And so that's one of the kind of the neat things. So yes, you have a group of vipers. You have a small group of vipers. But when you are looking at what common things with vipers is, when they're born, they're very independent. They come out as very independent. They typically will stick around the birth area for a week to 10 days, depending, but they are completely independent of the mother. They know what to do. They're eventually just going to go out on their own, but they're just kind of hanging out together. Now, vipers, what separates them from snakes? And there's a couple different things. One, they're scaly versus smooth. And in yes, in the United States, we do have vipers. Technically, your rattlesnakes are vipers. And so what they have is more of a pointed head. The venom is behind the eyes. They have collapsible fangs that then will come out. And one of the biggest differences between poisonous snakes, poisonous snakes have neurotoxins that go into the body and kind of cripple you that way, where vipers, it's typically more of a blood that causes the blood to clot in the kidneys and also makes it very difficult for the body to naturally clot. So it's essentially, it's a much slower death and thus they will kind of follow their prey after they attack. So one of the things then what I look at and how I am reading this this time is when John is calling this out, this brood of vipers who warned you of the wrath to come, who warned you to come here as these young people you're also independent. You're not caring about each other. You're just caring about yourself. And one of the things that I thought was brought up really well in Working Preacher this last week is remembering repentance. Repentance is change, something of change. So especially like when you're coming into verse 8 here, that bear fruits worthy of repentance, bear fruits worthy of change, bear fruit that shows the change of what has happened within you. Bear fruits that are shown that you have changed who you are and that that Christ's redemption, what Christ has done, and especially in this case, what God has done because Christ hasn't started the ministry yet, what Christ is going to do for you, but what God has done for you is shown that you are continuing to put your trust in God. And so then we get this whole awakening on when the people ask, what can we do to be aware of others around you, be aware of how you are being perceived so that the reflection of who Christ is, is coming through you. And John trying to prepare the people for what is to come, that I'm baptizing you with water to show a change that has happened within you, but that what we know as Christ coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, this holy transformational power that's going to then be able to radiate out of you, that God is then within you and recognizing that then that should be shining through. So with that in mind, and again, it's John here kind of at the end, kind of like these other texts, then recognizing that, letting God shine through and letting that praise happen, that your life should be echoing this praise that is happening. And I stumbled across a really good 
Vox video this last week talking about some historical things that have happened where we as a people have done this. And I think it ties really well, and especially me being an environmentalist, tying into our Genesis call to care for the garden. And if we have some of the, our older listeners here you <laughs> that lived through the 1980s, you might remember how there was a lot of discussion, especially in the mid-80s, about the ozone layer and how the ozone layer was disappearing. And what that then meant is that we were getting less protection from the sun and it was allowing in more harmful rays which could cause sunburns but then also cancer. And there were predictions at that point if we didn't change what we were doing that by 2050 the ozone layer would be completely gone, which absorbs additional rays of radiation, UVB and UVC rays. So in the 1985, scientists, including Dr. Susan Solomon, who is an astrophoric chemist, went down to Antarctica and they determined that there had been a 40% loss of the ozone and it was happening more and more each year. So that's what caused her to go down there. And in 1986, they came to the same conclusion that chlorine was making this problem through chlorofluorocarbons were to blame, or for short, CFCs, which was a propellant in like hairsprays, but it was also used in refrigerators, air conditioners. And even though the United States had started to phase that out by that point, much of the rest of the world was still using them. And the issue that you would run into with these is on the earth, the CFCs wouldn't do anything. But when they got up into the ozone layer, the sun would break it apart so you had this floating chlorine. The chlorine then would mess with the ozone. Ozone is O3 to make oxygen, which is O2, and this chloromethane. And what would happen is then as they kept bumping around, you would keep breaking it down into oxygen and chloromethane. And so you were slowly then breaking down the ozone layer, this protection layer. And the CFCs, from their estimations, could last in the atmosphere from 50 to 150 years. So every year you're adding more and more to the atmosphere, which then was continuing to break it down more and more. So by 1987, there had been a 50% reduction of the ozone layer over Antarctica. And so there was concern that this was then going to continue to spread throughout the world. So this then led to, we need to change something. So the Montreal Protocol went in in 1987, which included steps to help us move away from ozone degrading compounds. And what was monumental is that through the UN, every country signed the bill that they were going to move away from these products and that you were then even going to have other countries helping developing countries or third world countries that were using them or dependent on them to kind of help in that transition process and to move through. And it became one of the best environmental protocols we've ever had, and it's one of the best buy-ins we've ever had. In less than a year, we had figured out ways of using other chemicals, and then you slowly had this degradation of that. We did have a kind of a 
miscue that we had hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, which is a greenhouse gas, so it didn't affect the ozone layer, but then it would have caused greenhouse gases warming the earth. So in 2016, there was an amendment and there's been a reduction of HFCs ever since. But it's been this process to be able to move us through, and we have seen that by 2065, the prediction is that the ozone will have a complete recovery. We have actually now watched where the ozone depletion, had, we have gotten over the hump, and we're actually seeing recovery. And I think one of the things that's really important to look at with this, Solomon talked about that part of what made this so successful was what she called the three P's. It was personal. You could, everybody had understood what it meant to have a sunburn and understood that that can lead to cancer and how difficult that is. It's perceivable. They could easily show images of how it was degrading the ozone layer and the pictures of the ozone year after year. And it was practical. It was a practical and easy change and social pressure could help move businesses to make these practical changes so that we all could live. And when we're looking at this example in particular, and then what John is talking about and preparing us for the Messiah, it's the same thing. The difficult thing of where we're at right now with the pandemic is that we're understanding that things are going to be different and it had to be so quickly. But we also have to remember that the advantage of what this can be is that we have had the opportunity, and if we allow ourselves the opportunity to listen, like we talked about earlier, we then can hear the personal stories and we can see the personal relation and how things have even gotten better or gotten worse. And there's multiple different examples of that, both at a society level, a personal level, a church level, government level. There's a lot of different ways that you can perceive that. And that in a lot of ways, because of what has gone on, we have been able to perceive challenges and things that have kind of been covered up or let go of or turned a blind eye to, however we want to look at it. And it's the question of what are the practical steps that we can take to heal some of these, to move forward with some of these, to allow the Holy Spirit within us to radiate out. It's one of the things that then we then have to realize and reconcile with and work with is understanding that that is something that we are working on, we are struggling with, that we need to change. And that's hard. Remember, Advent is a time of waiting and anticipating, but when you're waiting and anticipating, you are also preparing. Think about when you were a child at Christmas. Yes, you were excited for Christmas. You couldn't wait for Christmas, but you were also preparing and thinking about and daydreaming about, well, what could I be getting or what is it going to mean? And if it's this or if it's that, or the, you're preparing for the excitement of what you don't know. The excitement of the gifts that you're going to give. The excitement of what is it going to look like on their face when they receive this. John in this is preparing us for that excitement and helping us realize the excitement that we should already have. How often that we get caught up as independents and even though we're together like a brood of vipers, we're not working together. We're independent. We're okay, here we are and let me go and do my own thing. Let's not give recognition to the amazing things that have gone on. The amazing thing of, in this case, if we're taking the Viper example, the birth that they just went through 
and what the mother did for them and to prepare a place for them, that isn't acknowledged, that they're going to go all their separate ways. How often do we do the same type of thing within our own communities? That we're all gathered together, but we're not actually gathered together. How often are we letting the Holy Spirit within us be gathered and realizing the ability of what God is actually doing within all of us and then coming together to help us recognize where there's hurt or where there's things that are worthy of praise? This Christmas season, yes, it's a joyful time. And yes, this is still a weird Christmas season and we're trying to go back to what we know especially after last year, how we weren't able to do the Christmas season the way that we would have liked last year. But how often are we actually confronting some of those difficult things? Or are we just getting together? How often are we realizing and recognizing the changes that each of us have made? The changes that society's made? The changes that we're, as a group, have made together? Even though maybe we haven't been in person. We have to be able to recognize that. We have to be able to acknowledge that. We have to be able to give praise to those things where that is happening. This is the hard thing and the exciting thing with Advent. It means that we have to be willing and able to accept changes that have gone on. Be willing and able to accept that it's okay to recognize that there's places where we fall short. And how do we then let that change come through? How do we reconcile some of these difficult relationships or difficult challenges or things that we have done and we wish we had handled it differently? How do we grapple with these things? And I think that's a key part of this. The beautiful thing with looking at the ozone is it recognizes and helps us realize that change is possible. If we can get everyone on board and work together and realize that this is going to be a change for all of us, I think we can all state that the world is a better place because we have an ozone layer. An ozone layer helping hold in oxygen, helping prevent us from getting burned, literally and physically, helping us prevent more skin cancers. These are things that we realize that together, we're better working together on these things. As a world and as a species, we have to remember that we are better working together than we are apart. And that means that we have to be willing and able to come together and hear the difficult things. Realize the the things that we're right on, but also, more importantly, the things we're wrong on. The perceptions and things that we decide that are important and realizing in our place maybe it's important But when we listen to others, maybe it isn't for a reason that we've overlooked. Something that we should be willing and able to give praise to, but then also maybe join them in. Like I talked about, I've always enjoyed the Christmas season between Thanksgiving and Christmas in the U.S. Because for a period of time, it seemed like people really genuine seemed to care about each other. And why can't we do that longer? Why can't we join them on that journey more? Why do we have to act like a brood of vipers most of the year? And then it comes to December and suddenly we decide that's not the best mode. So the Twitter question I have for you this week is, how are you going to work together with others to prepare? Because others can help you individually prepare, but others also help us prepare as a corporate group. In a world, and especially coming out of the United States, that prides itself on individualism, we have to remember and probably spend more time working together. Because if we work together, then we can 
honestly understand the individual gifts that we've been given. But if we are purely independent, it's harder to recognize those gifts. That message is a transformational message. It's easy to say and hard to do, but I believe it can be done. And I believe that that type of transforming power is what we need. And this is the opportunity as Christians to let the Spirit of God, the praise that we deserve to give to God, radiate out of us. And not just our words, but our actions. And how we care, how we love, how we cherish, how we work together, how we listen. Because we had a tough pill to swallow in the 80s. And we worked together as a collective group and leaders took control, but part of it was pressure from regular people to make action happen. We all joined in in the same boat and were, heck, even able to make an amendment in 2016 when we realized that we were contributing more greenhouse gases to the mix. That's where we're at. That's the essence of this. We have to work together in order for us as individuals to get anywhere. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.